0: Yep, Brown from Awkwardness and Grace. I'm a white mom raising two black boys, and if you feel squeamish talking about race, you're not alone. Join me, parents, and professionals as we have conversations about race and the awkwardness and grace of it all. Hello, everyone. I am honored to talk with my guests today. They are an interracial couple that have two lovely biracial children. They have generously opened their hearts to share their personal journey of being married and having children while viewing life through different racial lenses and experiences. It's been an exciting week for both of them. I'd like to congratulate Erica for winning the International Screenwriters Award the week we recorded, and Christian also started a new job. He is a world-renowned commercial director. Today I'm talking with Erica and Christian, and welcome to Awkwardness and Grace. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You know, when I think about entering into relationships and all the kind of nervousness and nuances that go along with it, you know, there's this progression of stepping and conversations. I am curious if at some point, Erica, you had asked Christian a question that I think kind of created some, mental stimulation for him that he wasn't expecting can you tell me what that question was
1: it probably something along the lines of how little white people think about race (laughs) yeah when we first started dating you know he he was probably the first white guy that i really seriously dated and i'd spent a lifetime of just you know thinking about race (laughs) And it was, it was, it was a a little jarring to me that it just wasn't something that he thought about often, but it was also, it was also freeing to some degree too. It was like, wow, like you don't have that ticker running in your head nonstop. Like that is not taking up space. Wow. That must be nice. So yeah, we, we, that was definitely something that, I don't know, Christian, how did you feel about that? Well,
2: I think I was, uh unaware of most of it, mm-hmm. most of what, was, what we were processing at the time. But there was a pre-marriage moment specifically that I remember when Erica asked me, you are going to be okay with your kids not necessarily looking like you? And I remember that moment because it's like, you know, I had a knee jerk reaction. I scoffed because I, I registered that question quite literally. And the answer to the little question was simple, but, you know, of course. It didn't bother me at all. But the irony, the irony is that I had no idea the depth of the journey that I was about to embark on and how far back of the pack I would truly be on this subject. I couldn't foresee it at this time, but my wife could, my future wife.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah. When we, when we were seriously involved in thinking about kids, it was around the time that Trayvon Martin happened. And And I really, uh, I had that moment. I was like, do you understand? Do you really understand what we're getting into?
2: And the answer that I didn't maybe know at the time is the answer is no. I didn't know entirely what I was getting into. And that's been pretty profound. Hmm,
0: Yes, I can imagine. Yes, when I was going through the adoption process and we matched with a mother that is African-American, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, Oh, wonderful. I get to have a family, you know, all you need is love. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love, will, love will keep you together, yeah. hopefully, but no, that the journey is much more intense than that. Now I'm curious, Christian, being white in our society, we can kind of ignore this. So why do you feel you were so thrown off by this?
2: I think that's a big question. Let me start by saying, (laughs) (laughs) it, you know, um, it's not necessarily that I didn't think about it. It's that I didn't have the tools to fully comprehend the journey that I was about to go on. Mm-hmm. And I think what's kind of interesting for me was that, you know, in a lot of ways I have always been expected to have answers. You know, I was the firstborn in my family. I'm a white male. Even when it was clear that there was no reason I should have the answer, I mm-hmm. was already, always sort of given the space and the platform to, and the expectation to have an answer. And that's just like how I grew up. So what was interesting to me was as we got deeper into this, I I just had to realize that I am the beginner here in every way, in almost every moment. And I've had to unlearn the expectation of having the answers. So for me on this journey, it's sort of a page one rewrite. Simple things have been completely upended for me. I
1: I will say when we were dating, I think that that was one thing that helped us or helped me in our relationship and and moving forward. I, I, I found him at a lot of times, you know, being, he was quite open to understanding that he didn't know, he didn't have the answers for this and seeing how he moved through life i knew that was probably a pretty difficult thing to say because he 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 has always been expected to have these answers and people listen to him but he, he was very he 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 was open to growth and to to learning and and yeah it was part of the reason i fell in
0: love with him <laughs> oh how wonderful so that must have made you feel confident in moving forward and trusting that this person is going to you know walk with you on this
1: yeah yeah I mean yeah there were lots of you know missteps and things but we were able to talk about it and I generally felt heard and safe with him in those in those space in those you know conversations so yeah it was really great that aspect was great it helped me uh, develop a language towards it all (laughs)
0: Yeah, I bet. Oh my goodness. Well, how beautiful. I'm curious, Christian, did your parents ever talk to you about race and racism?
2: That's a good question. I grew up in a very progressive, liberal, small town in California and then in Seattle we were a very racially inclusive family but i don't recall much discussion about race in general and i think that's that's probably pretty consistent with almost everybody that i lived around it was not something that you spent a lot of time thinking about and you just sort of walked through life sort of naive to it Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i think that's pretty true too so you're in this incredible relationship, things are going well, and now you're, you've become parents. Yes. (laughs) And what would you like to say about that? (laughs) (laughs) Where do you begin?
1: (laughs) For any family, for anyone starting off with, with kids, it's a huge shift, Um, but yeah, for having a mixed-race family, it's, it's a lot. Where do we start off with that, would you like to?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you have to kind of address us both individually as well. For me, I suspect all kids teach you as a parent. Having two children that are mixed, that society will see as Black, has really forced my education. I think it all started with Erica when she gave me a book by Beverly Daniel Tatum called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? hmm And in that excellent book, she begins with a definition of racism that was completely new to me a few years back now. But her definition is race, racism is simply a system of advantage based on race. And she illustrates it as a moving walkway. This was an eye-opening moment for me. And and the idea here was that racism wasn't about a personal belief or an intent behind a comment. It was simply a system of advantage based on race. And the idea of the moving walkway really was a light bulb moment for me. Suddenly, at least personally how I felt about that, my own ignorance wasn't riddled with the same shame or complicity. It, it really sort of just opened my eyes and really liberated my journey of education kind of going forward.
0: I, I do remember reading that book and yes, that was one of the first ones I read too. Erica, do you feel that as a black woman, how do you feel about having to kind of educate your white husband?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I would say it, it is tiring. I love him, so that makes it easier and we have kids together, so it makes it important <laughs> to not get tired of doing it, but it's it's, you know, the larger community we live in that it, it ends up being coming taxing uh to to sort of be <laughs> the representation and, and the education for, for people around. Yeah. It's, it's something that, you know, I have had to navigate my entire life. So it's not, it's almost second nature to some degree with all that's happening now. It's the weight of it has felt more oppressive, <laughs> but in general, it's something that I, I've done my entire life. You know, I, I grew up in white spaces and my dad is a history teacher, an African-American history teacher, the only t- black teacher in our county. My mom ended up being the second only black teacher in our county. Like, so we, I just grew up in a family that is used to educating.
2: I kind of had thought about that too. I guess in this difficult time, I, you know, I've been witness to the emotional toll. And as, as white folk, I, I, I think we're all pretty much aware at this point not to lean on our Black friends just to educate us. But even as a husband, you know, in this under this roof, I've crossed that line far too many times. And I've learned that there's a difference between talking about race and then relying on my wife to teach me about race. In this time, one of our good friends positioned it like this, asking a Black woman to talk about her experience of racism is like asking her to recount a rape. For me, that line was that line has been very helpful in reminding me that this is not a talk that we should just enter into casually in between cups of coffee or you know, as you're getting into the car kind of thing.
1: It's weird though, as much as I had grown up in white spaces, I had never f- felt as isolated as I, I do now out here, because I always had my family around. And so then once we had kids, that became even more important to me. And so it's been, it's been a bit of a challenge, to the three of us being Black and, and navigating the space and, and trying to find some roots within our culture. And so that's been the, the part that we are, are trying to strive for right now.
2: That's particularly true. I think during the COVID times, yeah, where we are, you know, geographically,
1: Very isolated. yeah, isolated.
0: Yeah, I I've experienced that too. I've, it's a weird thing. I almost have this sense of mourning for my children that they can't interact with people of their culture and what and look like them. You know, they are doing Zoom stuff, but they just I can't. I feel very lost without having a connection to people in that look like them to support them too.
1: It's something we're trying to, uh, it just takes more effort and work. Yeah. We we're trying to gather a community. We're trying, you know, it's a little more forceful and just because you're the same color, doesn't mean that you (laughs) fit, but you, you kind of have to start there. You have to say, Oh, you're like me. Let's, let's kind of gather together and, and, you figure it out through that
2: well i find also that the kids will bring up those questions naturally too i know that my our young boy who's just turned four was at the playground the other day and he looked over to the basketball court and he looked to me and said and he I, i noticed him watching the basketball court with added attention he said there's a lot of kids over there that look like me
0: oh wow and what was your response
2: i said isn't that interesting and then we talked a little bit about his interest in basketball and whether he would have interest in basketball and whether he'd like to go over there
0: and did he did he want to go over there
2: we got closer to the basketball court we didn't i mean the kids were older so he didn't feel entirely comfortable he you know the kids were probably 8 To 14 years old on the court at the time, but we we went over there and were as involved or as engaged as we could be from the Mm sideline.
0: Thank you for doing that. I mean, you know, that's um, that seems really small, but in a you know, that's a one way that you are supporting him and encouraging him to you know ask questions and to start that exploration for himself. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's, you're right, it's a, it's a small thing. What we've recognized is that by creating a space where we can talk freely about it, the questions come up at a very frequent rate. The kids are always processing this kind of stuff. You know, because we sort of, I guess, discuss it in a, in, in, you know, in a safe, sort of open manner, it seems like they have this question all the time. They have interesting questions like
0: this all the time. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my kids are a little older, so we talk a lot about politics. But, I mean, we're in a situation where we have, you know, we have COVID, we have a president that is uh, has some values that I don't align with. I'm sure you two have discussions about this together. Is any of this affecting your children or are they aware of it?
1: Yeah. They're aware of it. They, they're aware of, you know, we'll we try to be as honest with them as possible. I mean, we don't want to inundate them with <laughs> the heaviness of really what's going on in the world, but, but we do, you know, if they hear us uh, listening to something or or discussing something, you know, we'll have a moment where we, we tell them, you know, the truth. But yeah. I mean, they, they understand what's the gist of what's going on in the white house, you know, cause it's, it's preschool stuff almost, you know, yeah. <laughs> being polite and not, you know, it's kind of easy to, to discuss he's he's, a, he's not a good guy <laughs> um, and so they get that and then they get, you know, the pandemic and, and how to, we just have honest discussions with them at their level.
2: One of the things that's interesting to this too is that, you know, we're not a house that watches the news. We don't get a paper in the morning we don't have a ton of media coming through the house that is, you know, all over the airway.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's amazing how much information they're just they picking give, up from yeah. on day to day, and just day to day interactions, yeah. and just overhearing a small snippet of NPR on the way to the to school. I mean, it's stunning.
1: Yeah, when Flo- when George Floyd was killed, that was a really hard. It was hard to discuss that we've always had discussions with them about black and white issue, race issues, but that I felt <laughs> it was, it was painful. I hadn't watched the video and they wouldn't see anything like that.
2: You do have to be honest and explain,
0: mm-hmm.
2: why is mommy in the bedroom crying?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly.
2: And you know, while we didn't get into all the full details of <clears throat> the injustice, you know, there is a level that we have to teach our kids that skin color affects how, they, how people might view us.
0: Yes, and not only how people view you, but how they will treat you and how society will treat you.
1: You, you're really at that age where your boys are getting older. That, that's Yeah, those are real difficult conversations. But when, it's, when you start early, it makes it less so, I, I think.
0: I agree. I agree, absolutely. Yeah, we have conversations about race pretty much daily. I think in our household, sometimes it's more intense, sometimes it's less. Not only is it something we can avoid, it's just something we just need to do.
2: I would say, particularly in this current climate, and I, you know, I say this often that there's not a day that goes by where we aren't talking about race. And it's not a whole new topic every night, but because the sand is shifting underneath our feet so quickly, I mean, it it feels like it's a constant check-in. It's like a constant collaboration. It's like, how are you seeing X, Y, Z event? You know since we don't have the same filters necessarily, we're not seeing it through the same exact eyes. It's more like, are we in sync with our thinking here? And for me, it's like this constant calibration of like understanding Erica's position in connection with mine.
0: Yes, it does. And I, I, I do like the word collaboration because you are collaborating and the calibration of what is going on daily yeah, it's a constant kind of nuanced shift, you know, of how you're going to deal with whatever's occurring today.
2: Yeah, it's not a situation where we're like, oh, let's talk about racism. It's, we understand there is this systemic force and we're just constantly kind of checking and seeing, like, are you feeling that current? Are you understanding? I think Robin D'Angelo describes it as swimming with the current and trying to recognize the forces that, around you when you're swimming with the current. It's very difficult. It's much easier when you're going, working against it.
0: Hmm. it yeah, I'm, I'm curious. You had mentioned that your neighborhood and your kind of community, school community is predominantly white. You looks like you live in a gorgeous place in a beautiful area. When you chose your place, did you have any idea or even think about having biracial children in a community that was predominantly white?
2: It's kind of a twofold answer. I would say that we don't make any decision without some consideration of our children and generally race in it. So there is always some sort of, I mean, it's just part of our, the air we breathe at this point i mean one of the things that's really shifted for me is is often many of the things that i've i valued maybe uh growing up have taken on new aspects
1: i can jump in a little bit about the neighborhood i remember i mean we we moved here and i was i was apprehensive yeah, I was apprehensive for sure. I didn't, and, and the things that I kind of was nervous about happening did happen to, su- to some level. But, uh, you know, at the same time, which I also knew, having navigated worlds like this, I, I was going to meet some really great people and find a sense of community and, and be okay. And all that happened. And something that I am actively doing now, and I, I think it's... I think it's good, you know, and I and I hope it's good for my kids. Uh, I used to um, not shrink, but I used to just kind of just make myself, I don't know the word for it, but now I'm just going to take up more space. I, You know, I've decided that in places that I might feel uncomfortable, I'm going to make myself comfortable. You guys are going to see me here you're going to see me living, you know, the life that I should and not feel uncomfortable, you know, like, the, there's just a sense when I was growing up that I would always know the spaces that I wasn't necessarily going to be accepted in. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so this probably would have, this was a space that I would have felt that way earlier. And so I'm sort of double, I'm, I'm actively doubling down and hopefully for my kids you know they will never have those feelings so that's my little act of resistance and and i'm just you know enjoying a beautiful uh, like why, why shouldn't we be here that's in, at the end of the day Well, you know we we deserve
0: to be here
2: <laughs> we have also found no place that is perfect for all of the things we value especially in a city like Los Angeles where it really does feel there's no, where there's no perfect neighborhood. and It it does feel particularly segregated. We're always doing some sort of cost-benefit analysis of of, I guess our values and how we can live as close to our values as possible. So in some ways we have to compensate for the lack of diversity in our uh, school maybe by proactively seeking out places where they can our children can engage in in activities with children that look like them
0: it's a balance for sure you know christian in previous conversations you had mentioned that when you found your place you thought it was ideal the schools were you know within the top I think 10% in California and you just thought this is great have you kind of rethought that or have you had new thoughts considering that
2: absolutely I never I mean I should be clear that diversity was always and something that what we valued and we spoke about actively
1: Well, yeah, diversity is something that we we actively thought about, but when you're choosing a school for your kids, and every family across the country thinks about this, there's, you know, all these different things that you look into, (laughs) and we had an opportunity to be able to walk to this really, really great school. It's, you know, public school that we felt was important, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like the schools that we grew up in. It's not like the schools that had, what did you say, the plumber and the architect or whatever, like, you know, it's not a socioeconomic, you know, melting pot of, uh, of people from the area. You know, it's a different, it's an entirely different thing. And, and I, you know, I think Christian came in thinking it was going to be, you know, a little more diverse than it was. And I, I I would come by the school and look through the the gates and I'm like, man, I see the lunch ladies black, and the crossing guard guy is black. I don't see enough. I don't see enough color here. And I, I was, I was, I was nervous, but you know, I was hopeful that maybe we were just missing, missing it. <laughs> so when we had an opportunity, we took it. It's a great school. It's a great school education-wise. We decided to, to take a chance, and yeah, I definitely there was some disappointment when we started in there, and it was much less than I even ever could imagine. So yeah, we as a family will have to to collaborate and recalibrate and figure out, you know, if it's something that we want to continue with, if we are finding enough balance by our family being diverse anyway, or if we feel the weight of being the only diversity, you know, of all the kids leeching on to it, it's it's a something that we definitely have to look into in the future. But for now, you know, it's it's our school and we're we're trying to navigate it the best we can.
2: Let I me mean, Let me jump in on my thoughts on this one, too. Erica's entire family is in education. My stepfather's in education. This is something that, it's not a decision we entered into lightly, into where we were going to send our kids. And oftentimes, you know, I asked pretty much everyone in both families, you know, what their thoughts were. Mm -hmm. The challenge I had was that I felt like school is, fundamentally different than what it was when we were growing up and I don't know if it's the time period or if it's regional but Erica and I both grew up in small towns and we were both predisposed to go public but in our hometowns when we were young everyone sent their kids to the same school the mayor the plumber the wealthiest the poorest it didn't matter they all came to the same school and you were all in the same class together. I don't know if today's segregation is factually true or not, but that's, it doesn't feel the same as it once was. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I feel the same. I have not researched it or investigated it, but I do feel the same way also. I went to public schools. Private school was a very, very special Kind of a leak thing to experience when I was growing up. So you have these biracial children in a predominantly white school. How do you navigate them? Do you feel empowered to do something about this? Are you, you know, what kind of steps are you taking moving forward?
1: Well, I mean, we, it's important. It's, in, yeah, we, yeah, we're taking steps. We feel empowered. I am trying my best to develop a community. So I started a black moms group at the school, and we're trying to meet families that have black children and, you know, like try to, to, to develop a small uh, group in that way. And then Christian is doing his own work with white parents.
2: One of the things we're doing as a small community, I reached out to all the parents and just invited people to, to a discussion about race in our children. And one of the things we're doing as a small community where we live is discussing it as a group, and it's that simple. You know, and it's issues like when it's appropriate to intercede on the playground, how to bring up observations to each other, when it's appropriate to mention something, and just the ability to raise awareness and to point out something you saw on the playground. It requires a huge amount of trust in each other as parents and commitment.
0: It does this could be a whole other topic of conversation, but I'm curious to know if you do have school support from let's say the principal and administration teachers on your side.
2: We didn't start there, and we weren't hiding it either. We yeah. I would say I, I would say that we you know I did mention it to the principal mm-hmm. and the teachers but the intent was really about gathering parents to raise racial awareness in the household we started a conversation first with the parents and to have a discussion about race and our children at you know what was an awkward time and our conversations were challenging and frank and vulnerable and came from a lot of different places It was ultimately really inspiring to see people show up and have this conversation. And at the end of our initial discussions, we all agreed to making a commitment to each other for a longer term series of discussions. So we committed at least three years to keep having these conversations on a regular basis.
0: Oh, I'd love hearing this. I just feel like you've taken your lemons and made lemonade and and I just have to say by taking these steps you're really helping to alter the state of so many people that probably are really hungry for this and maybe even afraid to talk about it so congratulations I
2: think think you nailed it right there I think there's a lot of hunger to talk about it but it's also really uncomfortable as well
0: yeah it is, definitely. So, you know, is there anything that gives you a sense of hope? Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, oh,
1: I, I am someone that believes in hope, and I hope that never goes away it has been trying uh, these uh, these last few months of you know the ups and downs it, it, it's been more hopeful than not what gives me hope i was very excited when i saw the protests continuing as long as they did and with so many uh, white faces quite frankly i was i was a little discouraged by how how behind i realized all my white friends and 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 family w- was, but, um, but I, I saw the desire to catch up and there's hope in that.
2: I can say um, also the thing that gives me hope is the courage of our children. Yeah. I am so impressed with how strong both of our children are, how comfortable they are talking about race, how aware they are, how willing they are to ask questions if there's one thing I can be hopeful for is that the next generation will come at this discussion from a very different place.
0: For sure. Absolutely agree. The resilience of these kids. I mean, I, this is kind of a mission of mine of if you talk to your kids about race early on, it becomes almost normal and mm-hmm. they can become, you know, come, co-conspirators to become anti-racist and to fight these injustices. And if uh, we create these little humans that way, then, you know, there is definitely more hope. It is a long journey, but worthy of the undertaking.
2: You know, one of the things that I think has become really powerful for me to keep in mind is the difference between, you know, racially inclusive parenting and anti-racist parenting. And, you know, these aren't my notes, but I've taken them from other people. And, you know, it's things like, rather than just making sure there's racial diversity in a kid's library, it's intentionally including books that go beyond slavery and civil rights movement to a more equal celebration of accomplishment. So we're teaching about black accomplishment as much as the struggling, the struggle and the suffering you know, an old way of teaching kids might've been that people matter more than skin color versus teaching kids that skin color deeply affects how people view us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Another one is rather than, rather than showing just movies and TVs with black or brown kids, actually using media to point out the examples of stereotypes and racism.
0: I agree on all of those fronts,
2: and not just talking about. I mean, we're a mixed couple, so this is something that can that can give com- we can give context to very easily. But it's not just talking about what privilege means in a theoretical way, but giving our kids like contextual examples in a moment, so they can see it quite clearly, and ma- and ju- and just making sure our social community is representative of Black and Brown kids too, so that we're going out of our way at times to make sure we are in environments that that has better representation.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yes. When I think of everything that you've said, um, yeah, diversity is great in the school, but if you don't talk about the real issues concerning the differences within these people's experiences, you're basically kind of washing over the surface of what their reality is. You know, so... I I have to say, I really appreciate you guys, you know, confronting this issue head on, being open, Christian, to embracing it. Erica, kind of, yep, I'm taking up bigger space. I I really admire all of your courage in this journey. You could be doing it very differently. And I just think that it is just what you're doing is very admirable. Thank you. And thank and, you for
2: taking, taking the steps that you've taken. We appreciate it as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you guys being here today and look forward to getting this on air and sharing it with more people and look forward to hearing any more accomplishments, obstacles that you guys come across. And, you know, maybe we'll touch base again.
2: Yeah. Sounds great.
0: We'll be in touch for sure. All right, you take care. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.